0: Well, uh, Christmas is our favorite time of the year, and uh, Christmas is, is one of our favorite times because as a time, it's not only a time to fix up our Christmas decorations, uh, but it's also to, a time for us to fix our eyes upon uh, the, the birth of our newborn King. And one of the favorite things that we do as a family and as we've been doing over the, the, the times is just doing uh, family devotions. And so we've been walking through Christmas traditions and one of those things is just fixing our eyes and tearing away our eyes away from the things of this world and the things that might distract us onto what uh, is the purpose of this season, which is Christ. And so uh, one of the... If you're looking for uh, creating traditions, if you're a young family, or maybe you're just a very mature family and you're looking for that, we really encourage a book by Nancy Guthrie. It's called Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room. And it's what it is. It's a book of family devotionals um, in which every day has a theme. a short devotional. And then it also, for every week, she lays out a Christmas song. So I remember when uh, we were doing it and my, we have four kids and my uh, second youngest Ezra was just born, and um, we had just kept on doing that and and singing. So by the time uh, when he was about a year and a half, uh, we that was the first song we sang was the song that we sang tonight, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." And I remember that because we were singing it in our family devotions, we were singing it so much that Ezra, you can hear Ezra in the baby monitor singing at the top of his lungs, um, his own version of O Come, O Come Emmanuel. You'll hear, joy, DJ, DJ. <laughs> and it was so powerful. It was amazing. And so now two years later, um, now our kids are getting into it. They love the Christmas season. We just keep on starting earlier and earlier. Before, it was right after Black Friday. Now it's just like, you know, the beginning of November. Before long, next year will be in October. Uh, but uh, our, one of our favorite things is just to sing and to, sh- and to sing those great Christmas songs of old. And, then, um, and so what we're doing is, is we're teaching them um, to, to play instruments, um, and then also to play um, uh, music uh, for Christmas carols. And so Joanna's going crazy on Joy to the World, and then I'm teaching Caleb on guitar Joy to the World. And then, you know, maybe the middle of last week, you know, all of a sudden you hear my youngest, uh, Ian, two, two-year-old Ian, uh, just singing at the top of his lungs, uh, you know, the, the, the opening riff to Joy to the World. And it's just amazing to see that. Well, did you know, if that is true for a baby or for a two-year-old, how true of it is that the Lord, the Father, Designer um, of who we are, has designed us to sing. Even if science has shown and, and studies have shown that even at 12 weeks, a baby in the, in the womb um, of, of a woman, of a mother, already has fully has formed vocal cords that would allow them to inherently be able to sing. And so if God has created a, even a baby and designed it to such a fact to such precision that babies that even when they're in the womb have vocal cords, how much more is it important for us to be able to sing? And so why does Psalm 98 call us to sing and not only us but the entire universe? Well, I invite you to dig in with me into Psalm 98. And this is where we will spend some of our time here, Psalm 98. And we're going to take a look at how Psalm 98 calls us to sing to a king. Psalm 98 reads, So sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and and, and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the seas roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the first thing that we see is that a nation is called to sing, the nation that Psalms, and was directed to you the whole of psalms was set to the tune to be sung by Israel the nation of Israel and if you don't know Israel Israel was set apart as God's people not because they were special or because they were massive in number but purely by God's grace to showcase to the nations who God is. They were like a display, a storefront display to show to the entire world who the creator and the maker and the sustainer of their lives were. And so from the beginning of Israel's ancient history, God remembered his ancient steadfast love to, his beloved, to build his beloved people through great acts of power. God delivered Israel through amazing works. We know that because if you just take a tour through the Old Testament, you'll see that it's all about God's grace and deliverance. God delivering, um, you know, God delivering Noah from a worldwide flood. God moving in power to save Joseph from a devastating famine. God literally splitting the Red Sea in half with one side and one side and the other so that Israel can flee um, away from their enemies uh, from Egypt. All these acts of deliverance were in view to these nations. They were public so they can see God's right hand work salvation in Israel. And so Israel will be led to sing songs of praise. Now, if that's true, Steve, then why is it that there's nothing, no mention of that in Psalm ninety-eight? You know, most of the time you'll see psalms laid out and they'll recount every single act of, of deliverance from Israel. But in Psalm 98, there is no mention of that. Why doesn't the psalmist, if he knew that, why would, would he not point out these incredible moments in history that I think any of us who had the chance to be able to go back in a time machine would love to see? Well, we, he never does in Psalm 98. Why? Because that's not what Psalm 98 was ultimately pointing to. Psalm 98 was not pointing back. Psalm 98 was pointing forward to an even greater salvation for the world. And about a thousand years later, this great salvation was all found in the person and the work of Jesus. And so someone actually decided to rewrite Psalm 98 to speak of this salvation. And lo and behold, who was that? Well, if you flip forward to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we'll see that it's actually the very mother of the Savior that was to be born. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Before Jesus' miraculous birth, the angel Gabriel had Appeared to Mary and predicted, "From your womb would be born a son who is Christ the Lord, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." We see that from Matthew one twenty one, and then we also see this from Luke. And after this, we see that after this time, Mary received, or she treasured all the things that the angel had put on her heart, and she treasured it in her very soul. For she believes that she would carry the Savior, that all the prophecies of this story of stories would come true in her. And indeed, it seems that Mary was so moved when she received this word from the living God through one of his messengers, that she was so moved in her heart, she was so incredibly touched by this, that she was moved to sing. And so she composed her song. And guess what? She bases it on Israel's songbook, namely Psalm 98. How do we know? Well, when you compare Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 46 to 55, side by side, they are nearly identical. And so look at your Bibles. or We actually put it on the screen, and so we're putting Psalm 98 and Mary's song together. But we see the opening that Mary's song starts off with, My soul magnifies the Lord. And we see that that's in... in, in in parallel to sing to the Lord a new song. And then in verse 49 of Mary's song, we see, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And we see that also in Psalm 98, for he has done marvelous things. And then verse 51, that he has shown strength with his arm. And we see that, those repercussions of Psalm 98, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And then Mary then praises and she goes into this um, story of stories in which she talks about how the humble uh, that God lifts his head and he serves them. He esteems the humble, but he takes care of the prideful. And at the very end of that, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, the Lord will make known his salvation revealed uh, in his righteousness to the side of the nations. For who? For those who are humble like Mary. And then lastly, in verse 54, Mary cries out, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mirroring Psalm 98, verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Isn't it incredible? That the fulfillment of Psalm 98 was found in the marvelous thing that Jesus Christ died for sinners like us. Now, you might be coming here today, and and, and you might have come in, and maybe you were expecting just a regular Christmas service, and, you know, we might, you know, make a a basic Christmas message, and, um, you know, with all the embellishments, maybe give light to, uh, and talk a little bit about, the backgrounds of the Christmas traditions, and all those kind of things. But, and you might say, well, this God thing, well, I'm a good person, I haven't really hurt anybody. I think God will accept me based on the good things I've done. And surely that there is no, um, no, that God would basically um, look with favor on somebody like me. Well, yeah, you may be a good and moral person according to your own standards. But did you know that being good is not good enough? Because God's standard is simply this, ultimate perfection. He calls us to be perfect. Jesus set the bar high when he says that those who would enter heaven, those who would be able to come into his, um, his kingdom, um, would have to go through the narrow gates and not the wide gate because wide, the wide gate is something that would lead to destruction. But few are those who find the narrow gates. In other words, suffering and struggle are destined for for those who would profess and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And even before this, we see uh, that Jesus has given a very warning last week in Peter's message and saying that the very cost of following this king into his kingdom is the utter surrender of our very lives. If you look back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus gives a word of warning and he says, Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Translation, have you completely surrendered to everything that Jesus has for you in every aspect of your life from the very time that you were born, all the way until now, even to the end of your life? Can you say without a doubt that you have obeyed every single word and every single command of the Lord Jesus Christ? And chances are your, question, your answer to that question is probably a flat out no. Even one sin ruins that that's not to mention the fact that it's impossible to be able to live perf- a perfect obedience to God, but also on the, on the back end to be able to not go against and transgress our Lord's commands. It's as if I was making an anomaly like, my, like Christine made uh, this morning, and I ask uh, you what your favorite ingredients are. And um, you might say, oh, well, you know, you might say mushrooms or cremini mushrooms and uh, spinach and um, smoked salmon. You might just put some really mouth-watering steak in there. I don't know, carne asada. And you're, you're asking to put all this stuff in there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll be able to give you that omelet for sure. And so I cook up this amazing omelet. The smell is just wafting through your senses. It's filling the whole room. You're just getting so hungry as you're eating this omelet. And, you, and then I place this omelet before you. And I said, here, here's your favorite ingredients with your cremini mushrooms and your smoked salmon and your spinach. Oh, by the way, um, I only had rotten eggs, so I put the three rotten eggs in, into your omelet. Um, nothing... Would, want, would allow you to be able to eat that omelet. No matter how many ingredients, no matter how many good things, how many awesome ingredients, your favorite ingredients in there, nothing would probably make you want to eat it. And that's the same way when it comes to sin and when it comes to the goodness of our own making of our own standards. No amount of goodness can undo the sin um, of our hearts, the ones that only we know that goes down deep underneath. Nobody can atone for that, and yet nobody would be able to see it, but yet God sees not only what we do on the outside, but he also sees the very inside, the things that we would rather hide. As Paul put it, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. The whole world may be held accountable to God because we know in our heart of hearts that when we come before a holy and almighty God, We can never pass that test of holiness, absolute holiness before a living and almighty God. There is no one on earth that can do that because we are all under sin. Because we are all under sin, we are all under wrath and we deserve the very judgment, the judgment that Satan and his angels are reserved for and that is hell, which is death and eternal separation From a loving and a holy God. And so you know the marvelous thing that God did. That Jesus, who sat at God's right hand, decided not to sit any longer from his place of royalty. But yet, he said this, that I am going to go in love to save my people. And he entered into creation as a crying baby. And this is the Christmas storybook of, of how God wanted to save the earth through Jesus And who is fully man and yet fully God. He, the one who has created the entire world. Who willingly put himself at the mercy of the ones he created. Jesus did what no man could ever do. Which is live a perfect, perfect life. In obedience to the Father. Never once failing. And then on the cross, he took upon the entire wrath of God against the sins of the world when he died in a place for sin. And then after three days, he rose again in the greatest show of power. God raised Jesus from the dead and now he gives life to all those who would repent of their sins, meaning turn around 180 degrees from living for yourselves and for your own hearts and for your own soul's desires and that you would turn away from uh, your sin and from your life to turning to God and turning to what he has designed for you, what he has prepared before you because he's the one who's designed you and created you and has and, and called you to him to live for something greater than the stories of this world but to live for the story of stories, the greatest story that was ever told and that was the story of redemption through God's son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That is your call Hope Church, that is your call. And all those who would confess to not live for yourselves and to turn to Christ for salvation is guaranteed that Holy Spirit so that now we can sing the victory of Christ too, just like Israel, and put our faith in a God who grants us forgiveness and redemption to be a part of his eternal family. So Jesus didn't die just so Israel can sing. Jesus died so we can sing. And not only that, take a look in verses four through six in Psalm ninety-eight. In Psalm 98, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Not only Israel is going to sing, not only we sing, but all the earth sings. The psalmist expands from just one nation, small nation of Israel, to the entire earth. And he calls earth to the sing to the king. And that king is Jesus who has defeated sin, as we have talked about. Now we can join with him in singing in this eternal victory for all time. And when the people in the Old Testament, when they sang and when they used to worship, it was so loud that it could be heard from far away. And you can check that out in Ezra chapter 3, verse 13. Well, if the Old Testament was so loud, how much should our worship of Christ be louder? I mean, we should just burst into joyful song whenever we are singing about Jesus. It should be so loud, like, our masks should just, like, come off because we're singing so loud. So the next time you say, oh, and accuse the worship team and Eddie, you know, just for singing, for being too loud, it's not their fault. <laughs> They're just following Psalm 98, you know. I think we are the ones that need to probably sing a little bit louder. Right, Eddie? We got, we got, we got, we got to start singing and, and raising our hands and singing out to the top of our voice because we are a church that's called to sing. And, and you might think to yourself, well, I don't sing that well. That's okay. That's me included. And, and, and God is not so concerned with the tune of your voice. I mean, if you, if you sing off pitch um, for everything, that's a spiritual gift. I, I, that's as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, whatever it is, God is not concerned about the tune of your, your, your vocal range, but he's concerned about the tune of your hearts. And that's what matters. It's He's far less concerned about the sound of your voice as your heart behind the voice. And if you're praising God, he is pleased, and he calls the church to be his ultimate choir and no additions necessary. Well, can you picture... Now, we're called as a church uh, of God to sing with joy to a living God. But can you picture the entire earth singing their praises to a triune God? Look at verse three. It says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Everywhere, the message of God's salvation seen in Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross is going to be made public. And God is moving in public power throughout the whole earth and even some of the darkest areas. I heard this story in Central Asia where a woman we'll call uh, Dalera had led to a dream. And and God, we we believe that God is a God who speaks in all ways through his word, through circumstances, and even through signs and visions and wonders. And in this occasion, God had given her a dream. And Jesus, this dream was this, that Jesus had picked up her from a bed one night, led her to a church building and where she saw three men uh, standing in the front. And in the dream, God uh, had asked her if she is ready to believe and surrender her life to, to him. Just a few weeks later, I kid you not, in, uh, she nearly jumped out of her, her seat when she found the exact building that she had dreamed just a few days before. And she walked inside, and she saw actually one of the men that she, pray, that she, that she saw in her dream. She was greeted by that person, and today, she is a believer. <laughs> like with Delara, God is moving all over this world. He's bringing his salvation to every corner of the world, and it does not matter in that maybe now, it may be private, but now the Lord is pushing that all the earth can sing in a public way. Well, the psalmist concludes with a most unexpected twist. First, we are saved to sing, and then the earth should sing from verses 4 to 6. But who else? Verse 7, let's take a look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now all nat- nature is called to sing. Can you hear, can you just picture with me for A couple seconds, can you hear the oceans, the the roar of the Pacific Ocean or the the, the roar of the Gulf of Mexico, the roar of Atlantic Ocean, you know, just just roaring and singing to glorify God's power and authority. Can you just picture that? And just that, not only that, but all that fills the world, everything that fills the world. In it. it points to the totality of God's creation. That the rivers and the hills also have the same effect, pointing to the, that, that God is going to restore all things in worship to their maker. And your greatest call, church, church families, is, it, your greatest call in life, I cannot under that, underline this more, is to join in with this thunderous song of the entire created order. Why? Because creation is not just looking to what is, it's looking past itself. All of creation is literally leaning, leaning forward eagerly for the coming king who will reign. One day we'll leave the trenches of the suffering and the, the hopelessness as Eddie talked about and enter the gates of glory and enter in unfathomable joys, unspeakable joys that the world has never seen and will not even ever have a claim on. The world will be redeemed into what God has intended uh, it has called it to be. And on that day, the seas will roar in praise. The rivers will clap their hands. The hills and creation will sing for joy because on that day, God will be the judge and he will rule in perfect equity and righteousness. There will be no more broken promises, there will be no more elections. No more failed leaders. No more failed governments. No more um, governments that are dictatorships. There will only be King Jesus, and he will bring true peace in this world. The only thing that will deafen us will be the songs that will be drowning out because they're all directed to the creator, God. It is on a crisp, cold morning, about 106 years ago to this day was the first um, world war. And it was, on this particular day, the British, the Belgian, and the French forces, they decided to put down their rifles. And you're like, what would ultimately stop bloodshed from literally occurring? What would stop armies who are fighting to the death that would leave ultimately 15 million people or more dead? actually the singing of Christmas carols. Most accounts suggest the truce began with a carol uh, singing in the trenches on Christmas Eve. And some two-thirds of the troops, about possibly 100,000 troops, were expected to be able to participate in this legendary truce, uh, this, this trench-along, not a sing-along. And as Graham Williams of the 5th London Rifle Brigade recalled, he says this, first the Germans would sing one of their carols and then we would sing one of ours. And when we started up, oh, come all ye faithful, the Germans immediately joined and sing the same hymn. And I thought, well, this is really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. I mean, can you imagine how, how strange that is? You're trying to kill this person and the next thing you're, you're singing you know, with a hot coffee cup Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Picture what a strange and dark, but yet a ray of light had just come in. But this was just a truce, not a lasting peace. Alfred Anderson later recalled, recalled to the observer, it was a short peace and a terrible war. Because literally hours later, the fighting resumed. This shows that in this world, there's a desire to have a peace in a world that is not right. But yet a few Christmas carols were not enough to bring true peace. The war would begin to drag on for four more years. And so since then, we had not seen an ending of wars. But Jesus did not make a truce. Whole family, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to bring true peace. And that was by defeating the greatest enemy of all, sin. And in the coming days, he will usher in a universal peace in which there will be no more fighting. He will judge the world with righteousness and equity. And that is the the one day that we can truly sing joy to the world because the Lord has come. Joy to the world, let heaven and nature sing, then doesn't just sing of his birth, but it anticipates Jesus' return. It says that we long for Jesus to come in our brokenness and finally establish his good and perfect and indestructible kingdom that will never be destroyed, to defeat his enemies, sin, death, and ultimately Satan and his angels, and bring a cosmic peace to this world. And the entire world, as we've seen in this past year, is watching and yearning and waiting for this day, for this moment, for Jesus to come again. And the question is today, will you join in the song and proclaim that Jesus is the king this Christmas? That he is the one that is the one true peace and the one who will bring a a lasting peace. Christ died in your place so you can sing. Will you join in that song? Have you repented of your sin and your rebellion and laid down your rifles and turned to the living God? For those of you who are Christians, have your singing, how's your singing been in this COVID season? Is your joy more rooted in the coming vaccine or the coming king? You know, let's be a singing church, Hope family, amen? Until the final day when our king returns. But let us not use Singing. Let's just not sing. Let's use our singing for sending. We serve not only a singing God who sings in delight over us. He sings a song for you every day. His love for you grows stronger and stronger. He loves you with every ounce of his being. But yet we also serve a sending God. A God who delights in showing his love to the entire world just as he created Israel to do. So that we, they can sing and we can sing. We're the ones singing right now. And before long, your singing will lead to other nations' singing. Your singing feels gospel passion. Do not underestimate what our songs do. It's your songs that advance the kingdom. Your song is a war cry to the commander-in-chief to break down enemy strongholds, to make addictions and brokenness fall, to bring peoples from all over the world in the darkest of darkness to to him. It is your songs, when you sing a song, you proclaim a death blow to the kingdom of Satan and you show that Jesus is the king to come. And so I don't pretend to know everything that happens in your songs, but just trust the Lord now and trust the word now that what you're doing can bring songs of healing and hope and salvation. I wonder how many songs we have just Thoughtlessly sung that God has used the prayer of our own souls to bring healing and peace and salvation to those around us. And I want to encourage you, hope we don't want to be just a landing place, we want to be a launch pad for mission. I wonder if 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 we are called by ascending God, who are the people that God is calling us to? Historically, Um, And I think this is true even today that we're called overseas. There's been so many of us that have been called overseas, but we want to see that pumped up for 2021. And maybe God is calling you to reach the nations here and and, and being a singing church here in your communities to the neighbor next door. The one that's dealing with COVID or loneliness or the worker at Lowe's or the, the worker that comes in to take care of your AC. And it was so encouraging for me that I was able to have that conversation with somebody. And, and she allowed me to enter into the space of her brokenness. Her being a single mom with four kids. And just we got to talk about Jesus together. What a joy that is. And how much more joy is our singing God wants to send us so that we can lead others to sing for him. So they're right here. They're right here at the Mouton's apartments. They're right here at Chris and Keegan and Shao's apartments in Gulfton and Ranchester and Chinatown. They're here in Cyprus and Young Life. They're here in our schools, and the Connection schools. They're here all around us, and we are called to sing the glories of amazing God and sing joy to the world because He is come, and He's coming again. So I just want to invite you all to stand. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward, and um, just want to invite you to come and pray. We just ask that you would slip on your mask um, as you come in and you pray with one of the members of our prayer team. We would love to pray about uh, uh, anything with you, with anybody. We just ask that one man pray with uh, one man and one woman pray for one woman, or couples can pray together. But we want to invite you now. Maybe the Lord is putting on your heart a call to overseas. Maybe God is calling you and you're struggling with that. You don't know how that's going to look like in this COVID season. And maybe, you know, you're thinking about borders, you're thinking about safety, and you're thinking all that, but you know that there's a stirring call, that you're called to be sent. I want you to, to be able to come up and encourage you to pray and process that for somebody. Maybe you're hurting emotionally because you're struggling, because you've lost a loved one this year, and you are just lonely and just feeling lost and brokenness. We want to invite you to come for prayer and for comfort. Um, and for anything else the Lord lays on a heart. It is our privilege to pray for you. So it's a privilege to sing. So let's do that. Let me pray a sin this time. God, we thank you so much. We love you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus, that you sing a song over us and your banner over us is love. And Lord, you call us, God, not only Israel, but us to sing. Father, we pray that our songs would feel spiritual warfare. You would feel us to go into the very darkest of darkness and the very broken spaces of our world to be able to share Christ to anybody who needs to hear the good news of Jesus, that he is the one that we can put our peace, that we can put our rest on, that we can trust in. Father, we pray that you would do that in a powerful way today as we are people come to pray and as they sing. In Jesus' name, amen. We come forward now.